This podcast was recorded at the Space Theatre on the Isle of Dogs in East London. It contains adult language and spoilers for This Is Going To Hurt and The Book Of Boba Fett. For spoiler time codes, please check out the podcast description. Hello and welcome to TV DNA. We're going to be talking about This Is Going To Hurt, other stuff that we've been watching and what's coming soon. My name's Adam and I'm here with Neil. This is going to and Damien. I'm a bit worried. What are you worried about, Damo? What Neil is going to do this <laughs> What do we think of BBC show This Is Going To Hurt, starring Ben Whishaw? I loved it. I haven't read the book, but I know a couple of people who have, and they've said the book is absolutely amazing. I have been following Adam Kay, who basically is his autobiography that the series is based on, and he's very humorous anyway. It seems to me Ben Whishaw is just perfect casting in this. More of the same for me. I think really well written, really good pace to it, excellent cast, some new faces in there and some people we've seen before. I think we've finished episode three and I think it's a really strong series. So we should say that this show is about uh, Adam Kay was a doctor working for the NHS in the gynaecology and uh, maternity wards and this is kind of a warts and all look at the NHS with added bodily fluids. Oh my god yes. Um, so we do see some pretty horrific stuff. Oh this is gonna hurt. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. He's an acting registrar. Yeah, acting registrar at the hospital. And we also have his trainee doctor, Sharuti, that he's mentoring, for want of a better word, yeah. throughout this. She's awesome. And some nice receptionist characters, and we've got the, the senior consultant and another registrar. And then, obviously, all of the patients and people that he deals with. I haven't read the book, and... Although there is a through line, there are some storylines and narratives that are joining the episodes together, but I get the impression that the book is quite anecdotal, because certainly the TV series is quite anecdotal. Basically, the life of a gynaecologist. To quote one of his lines, and the script is amazing, same shit, different vagina. I also haven't read the book, but I did hear an interview with Adam Kay where he talked about the fact that the book is kind of like a diary. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's laid out in that format. And that he had to actually pull some of the stories together, merge some of those characters in order to create the narrative and to create sustainable characters that we can engage with and identify with throughout the series. And the other big storyline I think that comes through this is his relationship with his boyfriend. Yep. He's not openly gay to his co-workers, certainly at the start of the series to his, his parents, and also the boyfriend having to put up with the fact that he quite often has to work beyond his hours and work late and miss special events and occasions. And that could be any relationship. I mean, that isn't specific to the fact that they're two men. Anyone who works within that, well, I hate to call it an industry, but all partners have to deal with that. Is the extra layer of him being gay and him not being comfortable about discussing that with his colleagues and as we see with his parents and what it's like with his mum and his boyfriend in the same place at the same time. And Harry Walter who plays his mum again 
perfect casting. And it certainly helped with my bereavement of no succession being on the screens because she's amazing in that as well. But I absolutely love her in, in this. Well, I love watching her. I don't necessarily love the character. There's comparisons with The Responder. Uh, it has taken over The Responder's slot on the BBC in that that was this warts and all look at police life on a night shift in Liverpool and this is doing similarly for the NHS. But there's also a central character that in a way is fairly unlikable. Oh, or really? cer certainly has flaws within their character yeah, that are yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty strong and evident within the yeah. show. Yeah, he makes mistakes. What I actually really like about the show is both Lockhart, his boss, and also, I want to say senior midwife, can't remember her name, but there's a character who's certainly um, a dominant midwife, and both of them have said, look, you make mistakes, that's how you learn. And I think there's a message that is a really positive thing in saying, okay, yeah, you, you, you're going to fuck up at times. Like, we're not going to judge you for it. Yeah, for me, he's just on the right side of vulnerable enough for me to <laughs> care about him. Because I think sometimes he's a bit of a, a bit of a knob. Um, he's a funny knob, though. But it, yes, of course, yeah, absolutely. He's a knob who's got a great scriptwriter behind him. Yeah, and don't we all wish our knobs had those? <laughs> I think you definitely would need to see a doctor if your knob had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we're veering into Pam and Tommy territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we've not seen Ben talk to his penis yet. So I think we're all about similar way through this series, about episode three and four. I have heard from people who've seen the whole thing and said that it does get even better as it oh, goes amazing. on. Um, really enjoying this show so far. The relationship with him and his trainee that he's partnered with. I'm loving that relationship and the chemistry between the two of them. One of my favourite parts in episode two, and I'll say right now that this will be a spoiler, but it's not a spoiler in that it ruins plot of any kind, but one of his instances, let's say, is a woman who has got a Kinder Egg stuck in her vagina, and he gets it out, and was going to throw it away, but then the woman says, no, no, you've got to open it. And inside there is an engagement ring as she proposes to her husband. Oh my God, I really do hope that that's something that happened in real life and is an anecdote from his diary. But then that led to him proposing to, who I know just through social media, is now his husband. There was a tweet that he put out saying that someone had commented saying, oh, that's interesting, you've made your character gay in the TV series. Oh and he was like, mm, yeah, I feel a conversation with my husband now coming on. Adam, you've already mentioned what is becoming a narrative theme, and that is him posing to his husband and that relationship, and also how he deals with his mother, and I guess just the whole thing of his relationship and his identity, sexual identity. Yeah, a couple of things to pick up on. Like, I hadn't realised how much stuff people put up vaginas before, because there's a lot, of, a lot of it coming out, and that's a, a, quite a, a significant part of his job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other sort of significant storyline is, and again, not wanting to give any spoilers away, but a decision that he makes. And I yeah. think... 
quite understandably makes. I don't think he's necessarily being irresponsible in making the call that he makes, but that has the repercussions that cause the trauma that he is then reliving. Every time he comes home to his partner and his partner asks him how his day was, he always responds with, yeah, fine. Yeah. And it's this yeah. kind of thing of like compartmentalizing the trauma that he's going through at work. Because whilst a lot of it is joyous and delivering babies and doing great stuff, a lot of it is really hard and harsh and difficult under really difficult circumstances that people who work in the NHS will be familiar with. But him compartmentalising that and not wanting to take that home and the fact that that means he's then bottling up and not being able to express or talk about the stuff that he's going through. Highly recommend This Is Going To Hurt. I think it's a fantastic show and we'll very much look forward to watching the rest of the series. Damien, what else have you been watching? I've watched the latest Trigger Point. Oof. Yeah. I'm still Ooh. not sure. I'm kind of erring more towards the I don't like it, but I know I probably will see it through to the end because there's four episodes now and I think it's six. So I probably will see it through. But like you said previously, Adam, the audience is so clued up compared to the characters constantly that it makes you think whether the characters have any actual intelligence or experience. I mean, the points are either laboured or repeated. It's like they don't have enough content to make the show interesting. Uh, I wrote Jesus H. Christ, when it's bad, it's awful. Yeah. It kind of needed a bigger or better B-plot or C-plot or something else going on within it. And I'm no fashion expert, but Vicky McClure's wardrobe is just like almost trying <laughs> too hard to be normal. It's weird, I think. Every time I look at her in an outfit, I'm like, it looks weird, but the Bond stuff still gets me. And like, even in this latest episode, there's only one of them and it comes quite late on in the episode. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, this is tense and exciting. Yeah. Um, so for all of its many, many flaws, I do still enjoy that gripping moment of there's a bomb and we're gonna try and deal with the situation. And then whatever happens after that, it's hard work sometimes. I will see it through. I've yeah, yeah. decided. I've also been watching Louis Theroux's new documentary, Forbidden America, where he's with, well, is it the alt-right, is it the far-right? That's part of the discussion, really, about the spreading of far-right views online in the States. It was a very interesting documentary. The problem now is with Louis Theroux is that because he's such a known entity in and of himself, that that affects what happens when he talks to people. No more so than in this documentary where he is talking to people who are basically trolls and they're not interested in what he has to say. They're happy to have him there, be upset about what he says and then go onto their platforms to spew hatred about mainstream media. Now, so it's very interesting. I think there are moments where Louis isn't quite as on top of it as he is with other people that he interviews, but it's definitely worth a watch. And then I've been just dipping my toes in lots of things. Obviously the Ozarks and the second episode of uh, Power Force was very good as that settles down for the rest of the first series. To us mostly, we've been focused on the Best Picture nominations available on Netflix and Apple. And when you did them, how did your toes find them? Fine, so the problem is, is ordinarily they'd be okay, but something like King Richard, which lasted two and a half hours, I was very pruney by the end of that. 
two and a half hours dip is mm. Broome Central. Yeah, yeah. But that's me. Obviously, Pam and Tommy, looking forward to that. What did you think of episode four? Yeah, good. I can see now why Pammy in particular is not happy about the series. Because, I mean, there's some talking about what goes on with uh, Adam Kay's character, shall we say, in This Is Going To Her. I mean, there is some really tragic medical stuff that happens in that latest episode of Pam and Tommy. And I can imagine how you add that on top of the leaked sex tape, on top of the absolute free fall of her career, and that relationship as toxic as it probably will become with Tommy. Um, I can totally understand why she's not happy. I think we first talked about it when I'd only seen episode one. I remember making a comment that at the time I felt that she was being treated in quite a respectful way. And although he was coming across as a dick in many ways, it's cool. He'd probably go, actually, I don't mind them putting me like that because they're putting me forward as this kind of rock star with a big penis. And literally in episode four, the most recent one, she talks about, I'm a woman. You're going to come out of this call. I am not. And that immediately made me think of that thought I had when I watched the first episode. He gets away with this representation because he's a guy and people will see him as cool. Whereas she's the one who suffers. So no, I can I completely understand why... Pamela in real life would think I don't want this to be spilled I don't want these beans to be out there even though Lily James does an amazing performance and yeah if well if, if Lily James were to play me in a biopic at some point in life I'd, I'd be really happy about that maybe slightly confused you need different prosthetics yeah it kind of feels like more of a thriller I just really don't know what the show is, and whether it's like meant to be a biopic or a comedy or a drama or a, a you know a thriller or, or what it is. I think it feels cohesive in the world yeah. that it's created. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a fault with me in trying to pigeonhole and define shows. I'm enjoying it, but seeing the issues all over it. I think it's also worth relating it to *The Tourist*, in the everyone thought that was going to be a thriller. And to be honest, if you look at it as a dark comedy, it makes a lot more sense. And I think Pam and Tommy is a very similar thing. Do you look at it as a serious biography, in which case it doesn't quite work? Are you seeing it as a funny entertainment but making satirical comments? That fits in slightly easier, but I, I agree. It's not clear what its genre is. But maybe, like with the tourist, we're in an age at the moment where projects and programmes do not restrict themselves to a particular genre. I think the difficulty is that it bites itself on the ass a little bit in terms of a show about Pamela Anderson's privacy being abused. That's the kind of you know weirdness that I feel about it. But yeah, again, probably we'll watch the rest of it. Definitely we'll watch the rest no, of it. No, absolutely. It's in the 90s, right? <coughs> I'll watch anything set in the 90s. <laughs> Isn't a boy band in it yet, though, Damo? I know, yeah, listeners, in case you don't know, I, I love boy bands, particularly those from the 90s. But I'll take early noughties as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no boy bands yet. I wouldn't call Motley Crue a boy band. No. No. no and even true. if they were, they're not quite my vibe. I like multiple harmonies. Yeah. From what I've heard, you can take quite a lot. I beg your pardon? <laughs> 
I told you that in confidence. Right, let's move on to what you've been watching now. Well, it will be no surprise to you, Adam, and probably not to our listeners either. I have really enjoyed the finale of The Book of Boba Fett. Many Lucasgasms watching that, I absolutely loved it. It was pretty spectacular. Having had the Western and the mob film genre, we kind of had the Godzilla slash Kaiju genre coming into this, (laughs) this episode, which was very enjoyable indeed. What were the highlights for you from that finale? Well, the the rancor was an obvious highlight. The appearance of Grogu, or Baby Yoda, as he's also known as. When him and Mando hugged, and then also when he tamed the rancor and slept nuzzling up to the rancor. Yeah, that Um, moment of like, yeah, taming the rancor. I think that's got to be the moment for me of the whole season. The idea of the big lion and the little man. Yes. It was just gorgeous. It was, and I was really close to tears. I, I found that absolutely beautiful. And also we got to learn that Grogu chose the, the path of foundling rather than a Padawan. He chose the, the armour as opposed to the lightsaber. Very interesting that Luke sent R2-D2 to deliver him back to Tatooine rather than going himself. Is that because Luke's a little bit bitter about the choice? Who knows? But I felt it really brought together the two storylines and successfully finished this part of Boba's story. I do think we will see Boba again in future Mandalorian series. Very briefly enjoyed Peli Motto's mm. comedy conversation with R2-D2. But in terms of the almost redemption of Boba Fett as a featured character in this series. I enjoyed Boba Fett's conversation with Jin with Mando. They're facing impossible odds and talking about whether if the Mandalorian wants to go, he can go. And he's like, no, this is the way I've committed to you. I'm staying. He's like, even if that means you're going to die. He's like, yeah, absolutely. This is the way you'd like wearing that mask yeah. and all this sort of stuff that kind of came out of that conversation between the two of them I thought was really great and also the battle with Cad Bane like yeah. kind of sta- initially a standoff with Cad Bane and then later on it looks like Cad Bane's got the better of him and then he uses his Tusken Raider yeah. stick that kind of wrapped up that early part of this series and was, was quite a satisfying uh, thing what did you think about him killing Cad Bane at the end? Well, to be honest, I was initially disappointed because Cad Bane is such an amazing character. Certainly, for those who've watched the animated series and the Bad Badge and the Clone Wars and all of that, he's certainly an iconic character. And I did feel like he'd come in and then been got rid of really quickly. However, I realised that that character is still alive during the Obi-Wan timeline, during the Andor timeline, and I will be very surprised if we don't see him again. Also, he's got this little box on his chest, and one of the red lights is still going. So potentially, he's not properly dead. And we've seen that with Darth Maul. So... I don't think, certainly within the Star Wars universe and all their various series and spin-offs, etc., I think we're going to see that character again. 
Cool. Absolutely, I think he was a really interesting character. I, I have not watched The Clone Wars yet. I thought the introduction of him as a character, even though it was quite brief, I loved what it contributed to the whole Western feel at every time he appeared. Got to see a lot of the characters from this series coming together in this finale episode, as you might expect. And of all of them, I think the one that I'd most like to see more of was Chris Hampton, or Santo, mm. as, as Boba called him. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, before before the Book of Boba Fett, he was a character in comics, not even animated series. He, he hasn't been in any of the, the Clone Wars or Rebels or, you know, any of the previous stuff. And I think because he was such a huge favourite, a fan favourite within the comic books, that's why they brought him in. And he is so good. In the same way that we all love Chewie. And yeah, just seeing him hobble and just kind of going, no, you got to survive, you got to survive. You're such a cool character. And it does look like Boba and Chrysanthemum, there's now a new gang of bounty hunters. Obviously, there's going to be a storyline for The Mandalorian 3 which will almost certainly involve Grogu and that relationship between Mando and Grogu. But this band of bounty hunters, uh, I, I can't wait. I honestly can't wait for what they're going to deliver. So I have a niggle with every episode. And my niggle with this one was Boba Fett's last scene. He's basically not being a bounty hunter. He's mm. trying to look after Moss Esper and this city and the people within Mos Espa, and he wants to be the daimyo, which is the crime lord, essentially, mm. of, of that area, but in a more considerate and caring way. And at the end of the episode, he's being thanked by all of the people. And then Boba Fett at the end says, this isn't us, to Fennec. We are killers and assassins and bounty hunters, being celebrated people of authority within an area. At the end of it, it feels like he's dissatisfied by that. And you kind of think, well, why have we gone through all of this if at the end of it you're going to say, well, I'm not sure this is right for me. And Fennec says, well, then who? And okay, if they're then going to set up somebody else to run this town and city and all the rest of it, I guess I would have liked to have seen who that person is. And maybe we get that clue in the end credits scene where we see Cobb Vamp in the back to tank and uh, Mod Guy there with his tools ready to give him a new arm. I think anybody who achieves what they were trying to achieve then finds a hole, either in their life or in their self-identity. So I'm, I'm, I'm less disappointed by the fact that once Boba and Fennec have brought, let's say, peace to Mosespa, then what now? These are hungry people, you know, the ambition does enable people to achieve great things, but once they've been achieved, where does that ambition go? You know, there, there, there is a hole. And I felt like it was, this chapter is over, but what now? So actually, it left me with excitement for what's to come. Felt a little bit like he was having a midlife crisis. <laughs> Maybe yeah. now he's done the thing that he thought he ought to do, because he no longer was what he was before. So the potential for what he's going to do next, and the potential for that group of characters yeah. who are all really yeah. interesting and is great. And if we do get a, an Avengers-style movie with them all coming together again, yeah. then I'm all down for that. Obi-Wan Kenobi has now got a release date 
Disney Plus released a poster image of Obi-Wan walking through a sandy desert. Um, I mean, are we ready for another Tatooine-based <laughs> series of the show? 25th of May is the release date, by the way, so a few months to wait for Obi-Wan. I am happy for another Tatooine bait. I mean, we know that Obi-Wan, after Order 66, basically retreated and hid on Tatooine. So whilst the series might have occasions of leaving Tatooine, I imagine it will be very Tatooine focused. But also, let's face it, that's where this whole song started. And Obi-Wan is such an amazing character, and Ewan McGregor is an amazing actor. Let's talk a little bit about the cast of Obi-Wan, because as well as Ewan McGregor, we've got Hayden Christensen coming back as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader, and Joel Edgerton uh, coming back as Uncle Owen. Yep. Um, but the cast also includes the Game of Thrones Indira Varma, Moses Ingram, who was in The Queen's Gambit, Sun Kang from the Fast and Furious films, which I have never watched, Rupert Friend, from Homeland, well, and Eternals actor Kamal Nanjiani. I guess the most controversial is probably Hayden Christensen because his performance in the prequels left Marmite taste in people's mouths. Some fans just accepted and loved him and others were like, you've ruined the whole saga. He's obviously a lot older now, I'm actually excited to see what he delivers. I'm very excited about seeing Darth Vader on our screens again, and I think this is set 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, and at the end of that film, we see the mask coming down on Anakin's face. So whether we'll actually see Hayden Christensen <laughs> or whether it will just be his voice that we're hearing, well, the we younger won't. Darth Vader. Surely we'll hear James Earl Jones' voice. Obi-Wan Kenobi takes place after the Jedi Order of been destroyed by Palpatine and the clone army, Obi-Wan is going to be in a pretty dark place, I think. A dark, Slaughtered. sandy place. A dark, sandy place. So, anything else you've been watching, Neil? Well, I attempted Chloe. Chloe, the BBC show. This is on BBC iPlayer. We previewed this a few weeks back. Damien promised he was going to watch. I should say, Damien has left. Not because we were talking about the book of Boba Fett. He had to leave before the end of the recording. So it's just me and Neil now for the rest of this bit here. But he did pre-record him saying goodbye. We've got him saying goodbye. <laughs> I might play that now. <laughs> well, i got to go. <coughs> Bye! So what did you think of Chloe then? I didn't finish the first episode. I'm really sorry. I love Erin Doherty, certainly in The Crown. But I just couldn't pay any attention to, well, I, I tried, I, I started watching it, but I just felt I've had a better use of my time, after about 20 minutes, to be honest. This was a funny one, because I started watching it at a time when I probably didn't have enough time to really commit to it, and then I picked it up again a few days later, so there'd been a big gap, which meant I was really confused about most of this first episode, because I just couldn't remember key things about what had happened before but when I finished that first episode I realized that the big reveal of the first episode happens in those last 10 minutes and explains so much about the behavior of the first episode but I totally understand why you stopped watching it because it's a little bit odd and quirky and bizarre and and it kind of 
does leave you going, what's going on? And mm. I'm not, it's not particularly gripping in that first bit. And I think they were hoping on that, that hook of the last 10 minutes of you then going, oh, I get it now and I see why this is happening and that driving you forward through to the rest of the stuff. I was similarly, meh. I mean, the tangled web of lies you weave meant there was some tension about her being found out about different stuff. The jury's out on Chloe for me as well. And there is just so much out there at the moment to watch and so much really, really good stuff. So it is very difficult if a show, and I think a lot of shows now have to think about that, how they start a season and how they grip viewers from the beginning because it's quite easy to drop shows. It is, but also uh, you're absolutely right. You, You kind of got a point, it's very difficult to introduce a series because there's plenty of series that the first couple of episodes haven't grabbed me, but because other people have told me how amazing it is, I've persevered and then I've fallen in love with them. This is such a crowded market at the moment, and it really is about engaging people really early on. Well, here's a show that on paper, I was like, this isn't going to work. But in reality, it's pretty fucking brilliant. I watched last night Bel Air, which is a remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a drama. Why would anyone do that? Well... What were they smoking? Someone created a short film that was what if The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was a drama. Will Smith then saw it and has worked with the creators of that film. He's produced this. It opened on Now TV last night. And the premise, you just think this kind of shouldn't work. I mean, and maybe if you saw the short film, you'd be like, Yes, this absolutely works, and I can see why they've turned it into a TV series. But actually, you, I was almost dreading watching it, but I was like so curious that I had to. But it's really brilliant. I've got to say, I've watched the first episode. There are three currently available on Now TV and Sky. But it, it's such an engaging drama. And the Jabari Banks, who plays Will Smith, the character is called Will Smith in the really? show. Absolutely. The storyline of him having this problem in West Philadelphia, having this fight on a a baseball court, and then his mum being so concerned about this that she ships him off to Bel Air to live with his aunt and uncle. And then the culture clash between this young kid who's grown up in West Philadelphia and the hyper-rich and wealthy and privileged family that he doesn't really know. Uh, It's a really compelling and gripping drama. There's loads of humour in it. Although it's turning a comedy into a drama, there's still, there's always going to be elements of humour in that. But it stays true to the original. The original characters are totally coherent and true to their original selves. But with little adjustments, like Hillary is a, a social media star, and Carlton is a lacrosse player, he plays Carlton. Are they mostly unknowns? Are there, are there any originals in the cast? It's Ollie Sholatan who plays Carlton Banks. I've not seen him in anything else before. There was a couple of people that I recognised in this. Joe Holt, who was in The Walking Dead Well Beyond, um, and Jimmy Akinbola, who was in The Tower. He plays Jeffrey, 
who is not a butler, he's a, he's the house manager. There's, <laughs> there's a subtle difference to him, but he is, I mean, he's so fucking cool in this. Like, this, he's like the fixer of the family. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Adrian Holmes plays Philip Banks, uh, Coco James plays Hilary Banks. They're all brilliant. What is so satisfying to people who are fans of Fresh mm. Prince are the little Easter eggs. So they drop in little lines from the theme tune in such a clever way that it ne they never feel like shoehorned in or out of place. But you watch it and you go, ha, got it. Yes, brilliant, perfect, well done. Hats off, kudos, nailed it. There's two more episodes that I've got available to watch now and then I think it will be coming out weekly on Sky and Now TV. I want to watch it now. Yeah, go home, watch <laughs> Bel Air. Big, big recommend from me. Now, the other stuff that I've been watching, I'm going to really quickly touch on because mostly I've just been continuing to watch stuff, <laughs> which includes uh, Suspicion and After Party on Apple TV, both progressing nicely. After Party was very funny. It was a kind of high school episode this time round. I've also continued watching Station Eleven and whilst it's slow moving, but it's brilliant. I'm really loving it. And I think if you start watching that, you persevere because I think there will be payoffs to come. I'm holding on to that belief. And I'm a few more episodes into All of Us Are Dead, which is our zombie high school Ooh. Korean show. And just fucking loving it. It's amazing. Really, really great. I could do a whole podcast episode probably on my own about <laughs> that show. I'm not going to do that. No, save it for a week then. They know me and Grace aren't available. Okay, some quick news then. Better Call Saul has a release date of the 18th of April, which neatly coincides <laughs> with the end of The Walking Dead, so we'll be able to happily do Better Call Saul once that's all finished. The Peaky Blinders has a release date of the 27th of February, so that's gonna clash with the last six episodes of The Walking Dead, so we are gonna be busy bees, especially with all the Oscar shows we've got coming up. Yeah. Very excited about those two shows coming up. One final thing on Apple TV, for those of you who subscribe, Severance comes out on the 18th of February. Mark leads a team of office workers whose memories have been surgically divided between their work and personal lives. When a mysterious colleague appears outside of work, it begins a journey to discover the truth about their jobs. It stars Adam Scott from Big Little Lies, Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken and John Turturro. Now, Neil, it's only me and you. So, like, if you want to do the socials, I won't tell anyone. Is this going to hurt? This might hurt. This might hurt too much. If you want to, if you want to contact us or discuss what we've talked about, tell us what you're watching. Uh, you can contact us on the socials at TVDNAPod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us TVDNAPod at gmail.com. Um, but, yeah, that's it for this week, I think. Can't wait to talk about all the stuff we're watching next time. Bye. This is gonna hurt. Watch it. Bye now. Bye.